You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again. This is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. Welcome you to the June 2020 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Please stay healthy. First article I would like to highlight is entitled Adherence to Treat to Target Management in Rheumatoid Arthritis Patients and Associated Factors. Data from the International RA Biodem Cohort and is by Cipriano and colleagues. Treat to target is the prevailing treatment paradigm in RA. The aim of this study was to investigate factors that were associated with a failure to achieve the treat-to-target strategy. A total of 571 patients were recruited from the Biodem International Cohort. This is a multi-centered cohort with centers from 10 countries in North America, Europe, and Israel. The study cohort was followed over a two-year period. Investigators found that a failure of adherence to a treat-to-target strategy to achieve low disease activity was present in 40.5% of the visits. In the baseline multivariable model, the high number of comorbidities, smoking, and a high number of tender joints were associated with a failure to achieve the low disease activity target. While the presence of CCP or rheumatoid factor was associated with a successful treat to target visit. Looking longitudinally, the results were similar. Please read the article to see how treat-to-target may have changed over time and what the author suggests may aid in improving the ability to get the desired outcome of a low disease activity as quickly as possible. The next article to highlight is entitled Prevalence of Psoriatic Arthritis Patients Achieving Minimal disease activity in real life studies and randomized clinical trials. Systemic review with meta analysis and is by Zardin, Moraes, and colleagues. The rationale for performing this meta analysis was the observation that patients with PSA who are entered into randomized controlled trials tend to differ from patients who are treated in a non-clinical trial setting. And therefore, the suggestion is outcomes may differ. The aim of this study was to therefore determine if the frequency of patients who achieved minimal disease activity, or MDA, differed between RTCs and study describing so-called real-life experience. Using standard methodologies for systemic, systematic literature review and meta-analysis, 
the authors identified and analyzed 45 studies. 39 of these studies were observational, while six were RTCs. A total of 12,469 patients were studied in the combined cohorts. The overall prevalence of achieving MDA in the cross-sectional observational studies was 35% for patients receiving either a synthetic DMARD or a biologic DMARD, while for the RTCs, it was 32% of patients who achieved an MDA. Of course, in the RTCs, all patients were on a biologic DMARD. Please read the article to see if the achievement of MDA in real-life studies differed between patients on a synthetic versus a biologic DMARD, and how follow-up time influenced the ability to achieve MDA. This article can be used as a reference for therapeutic studies in PSA up to April of 2017, when their review ended. We will now switch from papers on arthritis to vasculitis for the next paper entitled Rituximab-Associated Vasculitis Flare, Incidents, Predictors, and Outcome, and is by Du Bois and colleagues. As can be guessed by the title of the study, the aim was to examine the incidents, predictors, and outcome of rituximab-associated disease flares in patients with autoimmune disease. This was a single-center retrospective study of 185 patients who received rituximab for a variety of different autoimmune diseases. They were then examined for a flare within four weeks of receiving rituximab. They found a total of seven flares in the 185 patients, and all of these flares were seen in patients with type 2 mixed cryoglobulinemic vasculitis. The vasculitis flares occurred after a median of eight days, and four of the seven patients who flared died after a median of 3.3 months. Immunofluorescence analysis of kidney biopsies in patients with rituximab-associated worsening of the kidney disease showed the presence of rituximab, IgM, and IgG1 positive staining of the endomembranous deposits and their thrombi within the kidney lesions. Please read this article to find out why the author suggests that this early flare post-rituximab occurred only in patients with type 2 mixed cryoglobulinemic vasculitis and for their recommendations on the use of rituximab in vasculitis. For the next article, we return now to another systematic review which examines the utility of cardiovascular risk factors in patients with rheumatic diseases. The article is appropriately entitled Predictive Utility of Cardiovascular Risk Prediction Algorithms in Inflammatory Rheumatic Diseases, 
a systematic review and is by Colloquial and Combs. Using standard methodology for systematic review and meta-analysis, the authors examine studies that assess the predictive properties of at least one cardiovascular risk predictant algorithm in patients with either rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, systemic lupus erythematosus, psoriatic arthritis, or psoriasis. By design, only cohort studies that followed participants for cardiovascular events were selected. The authors identified 11 articles that predicted the performance of the various algorithms, which included the Framingham risk score, the Q risk 2 score, the systematic coronary risk evaluation, the Reynolds Risk Score, the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association Pooled Cohort Equation, the Expanded Cardiovascular Risk Score for RA, and the Italian Porghetto Curo Score. Please read the article to see what adaptations to standard risk scores were required to improve the predictive value of the score and how successful the adaptations were in improving the predictive value of the original scoring system. I believe this article will be helpful to you in daily practice to determine what the risk of developing cardiovascular disease is in your patients. This article is also an excellent review of this literature up to October 2017, and it uses the Newcastle Ottawa Quality Assessment Scale to assess the studies and the quality of them. The final article to highlight is close to my pediatric rheumatology heart and is entitled Magnetic Resin Imaging follow-up of temporomandibular joint inflammation, <clears throat> deformation, and mandibular growth in juvenile idiopathic arthritis patients receiving systemic treatment, and is by Ballholder and colleagues. This article is accompanied by an editorial entitled Systemic Treatment for Temporomandibular Joint Arthritis in juvenile idiopathic arthritis by Stotstrup, Twilt, and Herlin. Involvement of the temporomandibular joint or TMJ is commonly seen in children with a JIA and can lead to significant deforming if the inflammation persists for prolonged periods of time during jaw growth. Direct corticosteroid injection into the TMJ is commonly performed to decrease inflammation and improve outcome. The aim of this study was to determine the effect of systemic therapy on TMJ inflammation, jaw growth, and the prevention of deformity. This was a retrospective study of 38 consecutive patients seen at a single center who had different subtypes of JIA and had received systemic therapy.
for TMJ involvement without TMJ corticosteroid injection. Two TMJ MRIs were performed with a median time of 3.6 years between the studies. Clinical examinations were performed by either a pediatric rheumatologist and or an orthodontist. At initial MRI, 61% of the 76 TMJs showed evidence of inflammation. At the time of the second study, the MRI grade of TMJ inflammation significantly improved in the total study cohort. The frequency of facial asymmetry tended to be lower at follow-up than at the initial exam, 24% versus 45%. In the TMJs with arthritis at baseline, both the grade of inflammation and deformity improved. In the TMJs without arthritis at baseline, the frequency and grade of congular deformation remained stable. Please read the article and accompanying editorial to determine if the results of this study will alter your practice regarding treatment of TMJ disease in JIA. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all the articles in the June 2020 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology. You can either read the print edition or the online edition, which is available at www.jroom.com. The journal will continue to expedite the review of all articles regarding SARS-CoV-2 pandemic and COVID-19 infection, and we will then quickly make them available online prior to print publication. If any comments or questions of these articles or any article in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. Please listen next month for the July 2020 edition of Editor's Highlights, and please stay healthy in these trying times. Thank you.